0: Good evening, and welcome to a new era of the Shaman's Brew. Tonight, I am going to introduce you to a new series and a new project that I have undertaken that I call Sacred Soils A Journey into Archaeological Places of Power. Shamans see the earth as a living being, the oceans And the rivers are its lifeblood and the soil and the rocks are its flesh and bone like all living things the earth is teeming with life force energy which flows around and through the body of the planet along energetic meridians which make up its nervous system not only is the earth alive it is also aware possessing a consciousness that shamans throughout history have learned to communicate with in order to explore its many mysteries. Long ago, shamans learned to see the energy that flowed through the body of the Earth Mother and noticed that some areas contained highly concentrated energy flows forming vortexes which contain Very unusual anomalies in the fabric of space and time. Some of these anomalies were found to be highly beneficial containing enormous flows of life force or chi energy that one could absorb into their own body to help it heal and even rejuvenate the body and spirit as well. There were also other energy anomalies where communication with spirit was very clear and frequent, a place where one could speak to deity. The last type of energy anomaly was the most respected and feared. The shaman would usually keep these places secret, for they contained dimensional instabilities within the very fabric of space and time that would open up and close under certain conditions and times during the year. These dimensional instabilities, or portals, were doorways that one could pass through, entering into other realities. It was believed that entities from other realities could also travel into our physical reality through such portals. When these uniquely energetic areas were discovered by Shaman, they generally would become very sacred to the indigenous people of the area who eventually built monuments and temples to honor the spirits that dwelled in and around these sacred soils today we know of several of these sacred power spots around the planet such as stonehenge sedona machu picchu chaco canyon mount shasta the bermuda triangle Tara Hill, and many, many more. These places of power are also places of great mystery to archaeologists who struggle to uncover the secrets lost in time. Sacred Soils is a series of shows that will chronicle my own expeditions to these sacred places of power around the planet with the intention of uncovering new information about the secrets they harbor. I will be heading up these investigations, lending my experience as a Toltec shaman, scientist, and explorer who, with the help of specially selected teams, will take you on a journey unlike any you have ever encountered. Using cutting-edge scientific equipment designed and built by myself, to measure paramagnetic anomalies in rock and soil that are commonly found around areas of dimensional instabilities we will search for portals believed to exist within some of these sacred sites another tool in my innovative arsenal is a device I call the transdimensional transceiver or TDT for short The TDT is a device designed to open up communication channels with entities on the other side of the veil using laser modulators encased in highly energetic electric and magnetic fields. The device has provided clear two-way communication in the lab with unknown entities and now will be field tested within these places of power. When the sun sets and twilight gives way to the dark, velvety softness of night, I will begin an ancient series of techniques and shamanic rituals that have never been released to the public, taught only by word of mouth, teacher to student, within my shamanic lineage for the last five hundred years. Techniques and rituals that summon power and, and spirit as well as opening doors of perception beyond our physical reality. Shamanic secrets revealed to the public for the first time, right here on the Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio. In coming shows, you will be taken to sacred canyons and mountains in the southwest, including the most powerful collection of energy vortexes in the world at Sedona, Arizona. In one of my more daring expeditions, you will see through my eyes the mysterious and majestic Anastasi city called Pueblo Bonito in New Mexico. This ancient dwelling contained over 650 rooms and rose four, possibly five stories and was built around the year 828 A.D. One of the great debates today among archaeologists concerns the sudden disappearance of the thousands of citizens of Pueblo Bonito and the Chaco Canyon around the 12th century A.D. One theory entertains the possibility of a mass exodus through a local dimensional portal, a portal that I and my team will attempt to locate using both scientific and and shamanic tools. In later shows I will take you to the great city of Teotihuacan near Mexico City where my Toltec shamanic lineage was born as a result of a great war between Toltec holy men that destroyed the city and caused a mass exodus to a new city called Tula. There are stories in my lineage of undiscovered hidden chambers and records in one of the pyramids of Teotihuacan that describe this holy war. The team will be on a quest to discover these hidden chambers. Sacred sites are not my only area of interest. On occasion we will be investigating some of the most paranormally active places on the planet in an attempt to establish real-time two-way communication with the dead. One upcoming expedition is kind of a personal nature for myself, in Salem, Massachusetts, where I will attempt to make contact and search for the remains of my own ancestor, Bridget Bishop, who in 1692 became the first person hung as a witch and the infamous Salem Witch Trials. In the coming year, I will take you with me on all of these adventures and expeditions to these sacred locations so that you can experience all the excitement, discoveries, and danger through the eyes of a Toltec shaman right from the comfort and safety of your home. Right here on the Shaman's Brew. In the first episode of Sacred Soils on the Shaman's Brew, I'm going to take you to southern Nevada to a sacred mountain called Spirit Mountain. I call this expedition the Portals of Spirit Mountain. If it were not for my brother, I would have never discovered this exotic power spot called Spirit Mountain or experienced the incredible feelings of walking through a truly powerful energetic vortex, which I suspect could serve as an interdimensional portal between worlds under the right conditions. Not only could we feel the energy of this sacred place, we were able to photograph a vortex with its eerie set of energy tentacles that wrapped around my brother as he stepped into the portal. About three years ago, my older brother had told me about this place in the desert that he had been visiting for over 20 years. He was telling me that it contained many petroglyphs, and he also got uh, the feeling that he was not alone in the canyon when he knew he was. It was not until he mentioned seeing strange petroglyphs that looked like Irish Ogham markings, which... Uh, or an ancient form of Celtic writing in Ireland, and that he caught my attention. Most of these petroglyphs are a thousand years old or older. How could there be Celtic writing on these stones from that time? Then, when he showed me pictures he had taken of a hand-carved stone monolith on top of Spirit Mountain, I was hooked and we started making plans to meet at my father's house in Arizona only a short distance from the mountain. Spirit Mountain is one of those extremely rare sacred places of power that exist only a few miles away from a major city, yet has remained hidden in obscurity and undiscovered until now. Part of the reason that the energetic properties of this place have remained secret to modern civilization is due to an adjacent canyon that contains an abundant supply of Native American petroglyphs or rock writings that draw all the attention away from the power place. This canyon is considered sacred to several Native American cultures over the last thousand or more years as indicated by the layering of drawings on the rocks and cliffs. Some of these drawings are unique and unlike anything. I have ever seen. Located in the southern part of the Nevada desert, about 90 miles from Las Vegas, Spirit Mountain rises in contrast to the desert floor with its pale whitish terrain overlooking the Colorado River only six miles away. Its uh, light-colored peaks make it easy to find as it stands out from the rest of the tan-colored chaparral of the area, which is probably what uh, first drew the Native Americans to investigate this place. Upon visiting, the early Americans would have discovered a natural artesian spring where water flowed right out of the ground and winding through the canyon for a quarter mile and then just disappearing right back into the ground before it left the canyon. This in itself would have been an excellent reason for native cultures to consider this a sacred place in the desert, if it were anywhere else. But with the Colorado River being only a short walk away, the artesian spring had a little value to these people. There had to be something more to this mountain and adjacent canyon besides water, something that would draw indigenous people to this rattlesnake-ridden mountain, over and over for a millennium. We could find no signs of long-term habitation, not even blackened walls from campfires, so we ascertained that it is some sort of meeting place, either for social reasons or, more likely, religious worship. My years of shamanic training told me that this must be a place of power that indigenous people must have sensed upon entering this area if you walked into a place of power like Spirit Mountain or Sedona's Bell Rock or several other places on the planet you would instantly know that something was different by the way that your mind awakens or the way you feel like you're not alone from your inner core you feel a subtle vibration resonating with different parts of your body these feelings Are caused by the natural earth energies that are erupting through the energy meridians of the planet and flowing out of the ground in a magnificent shower of shimmering energy this energy flows up into the air sometimes extending a mile or more before it loops back down and flows back into the earth to complete the cycle again all living things including the earth exhibit this type of energy flow In humans we call it life force, chi, prana, orgone or many other names but in all things it is the same primal force that resonates throughout the entire multiverse. Humans are drawn to places like this because of the energetic vitality they experience and the sense of connectedness with the spiritual side of reality. This is exactly what we experienced. At spirit mountain just as generations of indigenous people must have experienced as well our first expedition into this enchanted power spot took place about three years ago in the cooler mild climate of fall we had decided to wait until summer's end due to the heat and the thick infestation of rattlesnakes indigenous to the area after pulling off the main highway and Driving across the chaparral on a narrow, sandy, washboard road for several miles, the light-colored, majestic peaks of Spirit Mountain suddenly appeared directly in front of us. At that moment, I could sense the sacredness of this place, so intently that I wanted to stop the vehicle and just sit there soaking up the incredible view. This was going to be an adventure. When we came to the, the end of the dirt road, Spirit Mountain and its adjacent canyon still set about a mile and a half in the distance, so we parked, packed up our gear, and hiked into the canyon at the foot of the mountain. The closer we got, the more drawn I became to the energy of this place. Walking along an ancient footpath, I could only imagine what the first people to this site must have felt knowing instinctively that they were walking into the land of the Creator. I couldn't help but to get goosebumps, even in the warmth of the sun and the feeling of lightheadedness so often associated with places of power, was beginning to take place. The first thing I noticed as my brother and I entered the canyon was the deafening silence and serenity of the canyon. Lush with growth from artesian springs, it was truly an oasis in the desert. The dark, oxidized walls of the narrow canyon were covered with centuries of native drawings of all kinds of pictures of animals, odd shapes, and even symbols. There was even a picture of what seemed to be a woolly mammoth. I felt like we had literally stepped back through time. The next thing I noticed was one of the many oddities that we encounter every time we venture into this place the abundance of crows. To the shaman, the crow is a great spirit animal, mainly because of their intelligence and commonality. A crow can move about with little attention from humans, where as a hawk or an eagle or some other majestic bird of prey draws our imaginations to it. This is also why shapeshifting shamans Preferred the form of a crow. In this canyon the crows were watching us with great curiosity. One even landed a short distance from me on a protruding rock and watched intently as I walked by. The really eerie thing about this crow is that I snapped a picture of it and I could clearly see it in the viewfinder of my specially built deep infrared camera from Monotronics, but the only thing the camera recorded was the rock the crow sat on. The crow itself did not appear on the image. This happened twice in a row when I knew that it was in the viewfinder. This confirmed beyond any doubt that we were in a place teeming with spirits and possibly other magical beings. After asking permission from the spirits in a sacred manner and offering a gift of sacred herbs to the canyon, we proceeded to explore this amazing place. I had brought some of my specially designed electronic equipment used to investigate paranormal hauntings in hopes of detecting some of the energies flowing through this sacred place. Included in my arsenal of scientific toys was a deep infrared camera from Mototronics used to capture the extremely low end of the visible spectrum. A paramagnetic resonance meter that I designed and built myself, which is used to measure subatomic spins of electrons in the outer orbits of atoms, an EMF meter, and meters to measure magnetic and gravitational fields as well as an assortment of regular cameras. Often places of power as well as haunted locations exhibit unusually high paramagnetic resonance caused by the flow of subtle energy. This is also what I believe causes what is known as residual hauntings of a place. Electron spin orientation can be affected by certain types of energy in situations of great emotional intent from humans. Along with a few other cameras, we started to explore the canyon before taking on the treacherous climb up to the Spirit Mountain summit. My brother was filming and photographing primarily in the visible light spectrum while I shot in deep infrared. I was shooting in the lower spectrum with the hopes of picking up some of the more intense energy fluctuations and it did not take long until I caught something incredible while letting my brother take the lead on one side of the canyon walls I followed about 15 feet behind taking pictures of the canyon as well as of him I had this idea that energy vortexes or even possibly interdimensional portals may be triggered into action if disturbed by human energy <laughs> yes I was using my brother as a guinea pig sorry bro it was in the interest of science after all while using my brother as bait I continued to snap pictures of him with the deep infrared and in only a matter of minutes my theory was substantiated as I captured long energetic tentacles that shot up out of the ground and wrapped entirely around my brother up to his shoulders and triggering some kind of an aurora effect in the immediate area. He was not aware of anything uh, taking place at the time, and that I did not have time to tell him, as I kept snapping pictures, and then it was gone as suddenly as it appeared. It seemed that once the energetic anomaly was triggered, that it required time to rebuild its threshold power until triggering again. However... We were not able to get it to trigger again during this trip. Then I took out my paramagnetic resonance meter and started systematically scanning the entire area while simultaneously reading backgrounds, electromagnetic densities, and gravitational fluctuations. I was uh, hoping that I might detect either an energy vortex such as, uh, like our chakras, or a natural dimensional portal that believed to occur in places of energetic vortexes such as this within an hour i had two confirmed vortex ratings one i stood in while my brother took pictures and the other he stood in while i shot pictures we both could feel the change in energy as we stood within the mini vortexes as exciting as these discoveries were I was intent on finding a dimensional portal. Portal research has always been one of my most passionate areas of research, as well as uh, time anomalies, and I was certain that this place harbored at least one of them, if not both. About two hours into the investigation, I started picking up an extremely strong, unusual reading in the ground beneath my feet, indicating the possible existence of a fluctuating, shift of paramagnetism which is indicative to a suspected portal the lcd display of my paramagnetic meter was showing a dark a dark uh, deep blue pocket of shifting energy about 10 feet below me and extending out about 20 feet in all directions and it was moving i immediately took a second static reading to determine the direction, and was shocked to find out it was rising toward me, sitting now only four feet from the surface. My uh, first reaction as a scientist was to take another reading, but my second reaction as a shaman was to leap out of the area as quickly as possible to avoid the possibility of being swallowed up into another dimension. There have been many reports throughout history of people vanishing from places like this, without a trace, as well as historical mysteries of entire races of indigenous people disappearing from the face of the earth. Feeling somewhat foolish, I opted to do both by taking a last snapshot reading before sprinting out of the area like a madman. My shamanic instincts proved to be the wiser of the two, As my last reading showed, something breaking the surface of the ground only seconds before I left, although I could not capture anything on film. I could see it with my shamanic sight, like a shimmering cloud of heat waves rising about a dozen feet or so and then snapping right back into the earth. By this time it was getting late in the afternoon, so we decided to head to the summit of the mountain. On the way up we came across one of the most historically intriguing finds of the expedition about 30 feet up the cliff there was a large rock with an enormous amount of petroglyphs one of which was a distinct sailing vessel looking very much like the ancient viking ships these petroglyphs are between 800 and a thousand years old How did people from 800 to 1,000 years ago ever see a Viking ship in the desert? The only answer we could formulate is that at some time in the past, Viking explorers must have sailed into the mouth of the Colorado River from the Gulf of California and got at least as far as this point on the Nevada-Arizona border. We are still investigating these petroglyphs, as they also contain what looks like a possible map of some kind. After an hour and a half, we finally reached the summit, and I was shocked at the gorgeous view of the desert below, with the Colorado River in the distance. Turning around to look the other way, my shock turned to awe as I was standing in the presence of a huge man-made standing stones at the very top of Spirit Mountain. In the photographs that uh, we were able to capture, we could see a very weathered yet distinctly carved stone that must have been uh, used as markers or monuments to honor the gods. After returning home, we we made some phone calls to the local universities and discovered that, to our knowledge, these standing stones are unknown to archaeologists. This was surprising to me since this is not an unknown area, but as one of the experts explained, there are so many archaeological sites in the area that they simply do not have enough manpower to investigate all of them. In time, perhaps we will. Before leaving the mountain, we noticed that on one side of one of the standing stones there was an eroded carving of what looked like an eye, very similar to the Egyptian eye of Oris, and it was gazing out across the desert into Arizona. We are planning another expedition into this area in the coming months, in which we will try to find out what the eye of Spirit Mountain Monolith is looking at. Our investigations of Spirit Mountain are ongoing and I will continue to bring updates as they unfold. If you would like to learn more about my sacred site research and other items I encounter on my journeys, then please visit my website, www.sacredsoils.com, and browse through the many wonders and items I offer to my readers. I will be updating the site within the next couple weeks with information and pictures from Spirit Mountain. Feel free to contact me as well through the website. And now, in honor of the new movie release coming out this summer, Breaking Dawn 2, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about werewolves and shape-shifting. This topic is dear to my heart because I have had experience in this field uh, with uh, with other people, other shamans, and I'd like to release this information to my listeners and clear up some of the fallacies and Introduce you to some new truths about shapeshifting and the possibility of uh, transmorgification. So for the remainder of the show, sit back, dim the lights, and turn up the volume as I share with you my first experience with a shapeshifter. This tune is called Blood by Gaia Consort.
1: I will see you. Stop and I'll take you down. Joy of tooth on the bone and the gristle. Blood alive in my mouth. Some will say there is safety in numbers. Tell that myth to the edge of the herd. Leave the weak and I might.
0: Let's um, take the first step by asking, what exactly is shape-shifting? In its simplest terms, shape-shifting is defined as the action of transforming one's physical appearance into another form of either animal or human. Sound impossible? Perhaps the product of an overactive fantasy writer's imagination? There was a time when this is exactly what I thought as a kid I fell in love with the concepts of shape-shifting werewolves and vampires but as I grew older I realized that regardless of how much I wanted to believe in the existence of these exciting and very often sensual creatures that it was nothing more than a romantic fantasy that I would never witness or experience for about three years I was locked into this realization until one fateful day I was given a new shimmer of hope as my logic was confounded with an experience that to this day I can only attribute to the phenomenon of shape-shifting. I was 17 and living in a small high desert community of Southern California known as Yucca Valley which uh, sat about 32 miles northeast of Palm Springs. I was in 11th grade in high school and had already developed an unquenchable interest in the occult, and I had a bit of a reputation around campus for it, as I was often sent to the principal's office for testing the ESP abilities of other students while in class. I had my pack of Zener cards, which were used to test clairvoyance and telepathy, my probability charts and my set of mimeograph scorecards. (laughs) <laughs> I hope I'm not the only one old enough to remember mimeograph machines. Well, I was well on my way to becoming a future parapsychologist, so I wasn't too surprised when I was approached by three girls telling me a story about a ranch hand that watched them at an artesian swimming hole in the hills where they lived. He was really spooking them out when they went skinny dipping in the swimming hole. It seems that he would watch them from behind the Joshua tree about 50 yards away and when they would catch him, he would step behind the tree and virtually disappear as they moved from side to side and saw that he was gone. After the second time this happened, they decided not to go there alone again. They then asked me if I would go with them and see if it happened again so that I could chase him away and maybe solve this mystery. Well, now I have to be honest with you. After hearing the words skinny dipping, my logical mind shut down and was filled with as many visuals that would be expected of a 17-year-old male. So I was not even paying attention to most of what they were saying right up to the part where they asked me if I would go with them the next day. I accepted so fast that I became tongue-tied and had to repeat my answer three times before I finally got it right. I met them the next day at the swimming hole, arriving a little before them, so I took off my clothes and jumped in to wait for them. I had not even given the reason for being there uh, very much uh, consideration since the words skinny dipping were still echoing in my mind. Well, they finally showed and started undressing to jump in the water, and uh, I can't even begin to explain the feelings that went through me as I saw they were all wearing bathing suits. Here I was, naked in the water, wishing I had not thrown my clothes out of reach. Once they realized what was going on, it took them about a half an hour to stop laughing and teasing me with the game of keep away with my pants. Once they had their fun, I got dressed and sat behind a large rock while they laughed and played in the water. After about an hour, we were all ready to give up and go home when we saw a coyote running between the bushes and disappearing behind a large Joshua tree a few yards away. The next thing I saw startled me so bad I had to sit down to logically digest what I was seeing. From behind the Joshua tree peeked a man, that had not been there moments before and could not have sneaked by me without me seeing him. I grabbed a large stick and ran toward the tree that the uh, only thing behind the tree was a large crow that took flight upon seeing me. I figured we were facing two possibilities. Either there was something in the water that was affecting all of us, or I had just had an encounter with a real life shapeshifter. Although I was a bit scared and shaken by this experience, I had to know if the man I saw was really the ranch hand and if I saw what I think I saw. So I headed over to the ranch where he worked and since I knew the people that owned it, I had no trouble getting into the barn where he was working with the horses. I was vacillating about stepping around the corner and confronting him trying to get a grip on my nerve when he walked out the door nearly crashing into me. It was him alright, the same man I had seen at the waterhole. I managed to uh, speak asking him if he had been at the waterhole today and he just stared at me with very dark piercing eyes. He was from Mexico and about uh, thirty to forty years old. I asked again, and he slowly smiled and said, No habla inglés. I thought to myself, great, now what? I wish that I had paid more attention in Spanish classes as I tried to remember the words to ask the same question in Spanish. It soon became obvious that I was not going to get anywhere with him, so I, I turned to leave and got about thirty feet away and he called out, Buenas tardes, Marcos. I turned around, and on the ground stood a crow that flew away in one direction, and I took off running in the other. He left that area shortly after that. I think he may have returned to Mexico, but what he'd left me with was a prospect of a whole new set of possibilities that I had thought were only science fiction fantasies it would be yet several more years before I would begin to understand the intricacies of this mysterious phenomenon of shape-shifting. So, can a person physically transform his physical body into an animal or another person? From the many stories we've heard and based on my own personal experience, I would say yes. But in reality, The answer is no. The human body cannot transform on a cellular level into cells with animal gene expressions. I recently had a long conversation about the subject with my youngest daughter, Jennifer, who is a senior at Washington State University and a genetics major. I wanted to be sure beyond any doubt that human cells could not undergo transmogrification. Jennifer provided me with the scientific proof I needed, and I am now of the firm belief that the physical body transformations are not a possibility. What then did I see? And how can this and many other cases be explained? To answer this question, we must must examine the three different types of shape-shifting as taught by shamans. The first and most common form of shape shifting is used by most shamans around the world and is known as dancing your spirit animal. It is performed by using trance inducing drum beats at a rhythm of usually about 4 beats per second. The shaman then begins to chant and dance that usually emulates the movements of the animal they are trying to merge and shift into the shape-shifting occurs sometimes into this ritual a few minutes to maybe as long as an hour but happens on a higher plane than the physical it can be on the etheric but usually it is on the astral body that the changes into the animal uh, occur and comes into direct communication with the group soul of the animal species the desired result is a vision, sharing of knowledge or keen insight, and a shift of perception that will aid the shaman in whatever his quest may be. Sometimes people shift like this while dreaming and have very strange and sometimes vivid dreams of flying or running at high speeds. One word of caution should be noted regarding this type of shape-shifting, and that is you should not remain in this state for a very long period of time. The reason for this is that the longer an animal's soul is attached to yours, the harder it is to release it, and you could have problems when it comes time to shift back. Many animals find our souls soothing and are reluctant to disconnect. It's kind of like feeding a bear on a campground and then saying, scat bear, go home now. Animals do not have the same emotions or thoughts as humans. And when you're shifted on an etheric or astral level, the physical body looks much like it normally would, but you act in an entirely different manner. You can be more alert, aggressive, or passionate. This is where the term animal lust comes from. When shifted into an aggressive animal like a wolf, many inhibitions disappear and the passion-driven forces of survival can manifest within the human physical form. If this were not a PG-rated show, I would give you more details on the subject, but I can't, so you will have to let your own imaginations play out this scenario. One other fact that I find interesting is that the best time to try to shape-shift in any form is during the three days of the full moon. The moon exerts its influence on the physical and the astral body as well. The astral body seems to be more energetic and ready to snap into action during this time. This is the reason why people are restless and act odd during a full moon. This influencing force is where the term lunatic comes from. The second type of shape-shifting occurs exclusively within the astral body and can only be witnessed by others on the astral plane or by some psychics using astral sight. In this type of shape-shifting, you astral project into your astral body and then transform your astral body into whatever creature you desire. In this state, if you were to shift into a hawk, as far as you could perceive, you would be a hawk and you would experience everything that a hawk does or feels, including the odd sensation of looking out in two directions from your eyes at the same time. That's a a very strange and difficult feeling to master. One other aspect of this type of shape-shifting is found in the astral possession of a physical bodied animal. In this type of projection, you truly become an animal on the physical level while your body lies in trance somewhere else. When doing this, one must always respect the animal host and do not abuse or endanger his physical body. The third and most difficult form of shape-shifting is done with the use of what my teacher called a double it took me some time to comprehend exactly what a double was because I kept confusing it with the astral body a double is a projected etheric body of energy and is very close in vibration to the physical body it is our energy body and conducts our energy both electrical and etheric to all points within and around the physical body When we uh, project our astral bodies, we also project our etheric bodies. But the etheric body usually stays very close to the physical and seldom has consciousness for more than a few seconds. A skilled shaman learns to increase his or her personal power to a point where the etheric devil can move great distances away from the physical body and the ability to hold the seat of consciousness within the etheric body. The skilled shaman also knows how to manipulate the vibrational frequencies of their double so that it materializes into the visible spectrum of the physical plane. In fact, the only apparent difference between a real physical body and a projected etheric body is in its size. The etheric body is about an inch larger in all directions than the physical body, so a person that has projected into the etheric double would appear to be a little bigger than normal. The projected double would in all intent seem to be that person in the physical body. The shaman could then alter his appearance and shift into an animal, for example, a coyote, and then shift right back into a human again. This is a strong possibility that would explain what I saw when I was younger. The shaman can also use this principle to do a partial shift of his etheric body, while well, it is inside his physical body, thereby changing the way they appear to others for a short time, because it takes an enormous amount of energy and control. This is what is also known as the art of glamour, where you change your physical appearance in subtle or dramatic ways. My teacher used to play a game with me. Whenever he would come to town for my next series of lessons, he would tell me what day he would arrive, but would not tell me where he would be waiting for me. It was up to me to find him using the perception skills that I was developing. It usually took me about fifteen minutes to half an hour. I would find him in a supermarket, walking downtown, In a movie theater, now that was a tough one. And even once in a strip club, that was an embarrassing one. But the strangest and most difficult game of all was one evening in August, when I could sense him almost immediately, and I headed for the large resort area on the lake where I live. I thought to myself, I'm going to nail this game in record time. I parked my car and started walking out on the floating boardwalk that stretched about a quarter of a mile over the lake. About halfway out, I started getting the sensation that I was within a few feet of him, but that was impossible. The only person within a hundred yards of me was an old, and I mean really old, man dressed like a bum with really bad body odor. I was stumped, and I leaned against a large light pole peering at my reflection in the water, getting ready to be chastised by my teacher for failing this task. Then I noticed that the smelly old man had walked over to the other side of the post, and I stared into his reflected eyes, and suddenly this ancient mariner grew about thirty years younger and, grinning from ear to ear, winked and said, ''Gotcha!'' ''Yeah, you guessed it. It was my mentor.'' I had to buy him dinner, as that was the stakes of the game. Over dinner, he explained the intricacies of what he had done and gave me several exercises to practice that would eventually give me the same ability. I'm getting better at it, but I'm far from mastering it. One other interesting thing my teacher told me is that one of the favorite forms a shaman ships into is a crow. The reason being is that a crow does not have many natural enemies, and most people do not pay attention to crows since they are so common. So if you ever see a crow that's acting peculiar or making an unusual amount of noise, you might want to pay attention to it. Make no mistake, my friends. Our world is full of very magical beings, and things are not always as they seem to be. So, until my next show, thank you again for listening. And be sure to experiment with the transforming silver light of the next full moon.
1: gent who ran muck in Kent. Lately, he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. I'd like to meet his tailor. Ow, werewolves of London.
0: That was Werewolves of London by Warren Zevin. Thank you for listening tonight. This is Marcus Leder, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio.